Um, last week, within the uh, kind of catching up of the, of the year and what we've done in 2014 and all that kind of stuff, I said that this year, 2015, is going to be a year of testimony. And uh, never felt quite enough. And actually, I heard, um, I listened to Airedale Church, our city church in Keatley. I heard kind of Jeff's uh, setting out of the year. And he, without us talking, theirs was going to be a year of transformation and testimony. And I said, that's it. It's going to be, you can't have, if you have a testimony of Jesus Christ, you've got to have transformation along with that. Those two things are connected. And I love the fact that there's a synergy there between what Airedale Church is doing and our continued relationship with them in that they're, they're setting out in the same journey, in the same plan, uh, and what have you. And so I'm excited. So our tagline for the year is uh, a year of transformation and testimony. And um, I'm going to ask a number of folks over the year to, to come and share your testimony on a Sunday morning. I think that's going to be exciting, don't you? Yes. Really exciting, because as we enter into a place such as East End Park, they're going to want to see, need to see real people with real issues. And you, you chatted about it, didn't you, Guy? You know, you just, you just said, um, uh, you know, I, I have issues and I have problems and what have you. So um, people are going to want to hear that, but they want to going to hear as well how Jesus helps them in that and how he helps them transform into somebody amazing. So I want to tell you um, straight off that um, there's a story of, of a kid who... You know, he grew up on a council estate. Uh, his dad was a miner. His mum was a, I think you call them a sew mistress. I don't know if they do, them, do that kind of thing these days. Seamistress, seamistress, thank you, seamistress. And, um, you know, he went, he went through the whole miner's strike with his dad and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it wasn't great. His parents divorced when he was about 10 years old. And uh, he, had it, he had it rough. Um, you know, things weren't perfect. They, it wasn't your 2.3 kids family, whatever it is. You know, things, things were hard and things were tough. Um, and this kid developed kind of interest in things of the occult and, you know, paganism and all that kind of stuff because he was desperately seeking something because he'd come from a family environment that wasn't so secure. Over the years, the, the kid lost contact with his dad, and to this day, hasn't heard from his dad, doesn't know where he, really where he is, or what he's about. In fact, the last thing he heard from his dad, he said to him, kids, I ain't got no kids. And so this young man, growing up, trying to find something in the world, because he didn't have it at home, and turning to kind of weird and wonderful, kind of supernatural stuff. And this kid eventually found uh, a woman that he ultimately fell in love with and married. And this woman, along with her family, introduced him to Jesus. And so all that longing, all that searching through all this false stuff suddenly became real and valuable in this person called Jesus Christ. And that bloke, he's still growing He's still transforming. He's still finding out more about who Jesus is. It's a very simple but profound testimony. This kid didn't have major drug problems. He didn't have major alcohol problems. He didn't run around with, 
with a lot of people who weren't so good for him, but he did come from a broken home, and so things were probably atypical of his generation. A number of his friends also suffered the same kind of thing as he was growing up. You can probably guess if you know anything that that's me. That's my testimony. A simple but profound testimony. And each one of your testimonies of how you came to faith is also profound. And some of it may be a bit more dramatic, but it's nevertheless impactful and important. And Jesus is so grateful that you chose him. It says in Revelations 12:11, they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Telling our stories is so, so important. That's how we overcome the enemy. Jesus in Scripture told so many stories. And he taught us so much through those stories. And you can teach one another and those who don't yet know Jesus so much through your story. Hence the picture. 2015 is a year where we want you to share your story. You may be doing it already, brilliant. If not, it's an encouragement that we begin to open our mouths and begin to tell people about who Jesus is and what he did in our lives, but also how we live our life. Because salvation and what Jesus has done are amazing testimonies, but most of all, it's about seeing the promises of God worked out in our lives, isn't it? Let's hold fast to what God is saying through everything and not just a Sunday morning, a Sunday acquaintance, but the whole of our lives. And I may speak more about testimony in the coming weeks, but today I want to speak about transformation. And can we turn to, therefore, to a scripture that most of you will know if you've been a Christian for a while at least, and that's Romans 12, verse 2. It's probably the one you were expecting me to go to. And also, thumb, if you can, Ephesians 4, 23. So Romans 12, verse 2, and then Ephesians 4, 23. So open up your devices, open up your books. If you want to tweet and Facebook anything you hear this morning, go ahead and do it, guys. You know, I, I'm very much into all that. So uh, freedom to express yourselves it's in the social media world as well. So I'm going to read Romans 12, verse 2. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version, so it may be a bit longer um, and a bit different from your version. But I love the Amplified just because it opens it up a little bit more and helps us understand a little bit better. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Amazing verse. And Ephesians 4.23, and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Now, what's amazing, that word transformed, um, it can also be translated as transfigured. 
And so yes, it's the same kind of transfiguration that Jesus had on the Mount of Transfiguration. That moment where his disciples saw his, his holiness, his, his glory, his, his real being is who he is in God. And so we can be transformed or transfigured in our minds too. And when you look at the definition of transfigured in the, Bible, in, in the, the um, dictionary, it's beautiful. It says this, transform into something more beautiful or elevated. Transform into something more beautiful and more ele- or elevated. And that's what's happening as we have a relationship with Jesus. We are becoming more beautiful and more elevated. Isn't that wonderful? Is that a yes or a no? Yes. See, we can't truly know God. We can't truly know God unless we allow ourselves to be transformed through this renewing of our minds. Our goal is to become more Christ-like. Now, there are two uh, commands in this verse. One is negative and one is more positive. So at the beginning, it's Paul continues his thoughts from verse 1. So if you've, read, if you've just read what verse 1 is, um, he uses the word and because verse 1 talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he continues that thought as he, as he says, and don't be conformed to this world. And our bodies are controlled by our minds. So we need to get what, what's inside right so we can start working it out right. Says, don't, and don't be conformed to this world. And conformed here literally means molded or, or stamped according to a pattern. And it, this word is also passive. It's a very passive word. So it implies there that, that if we're not actively and intentionally resisting this age, you will be conformed. You will be conformed. <laughs> if we don't actively uh, 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 and, do, um, and not be passive if we don't do something we will just naturally fall into the patterns of this world and be moulded into the shape that this world wants us to be the J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible reads this don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould and Paul's use of the, uh, the, uh, the, the word world is a reference not to the planet, but rather to this world system. And for us, it's the, the Western world system in which we live. So being conformed to this age refers to having the same type of thinking as the world in which we find ourselves, the culture in which we live. And let's face it, you know, the world's philosophy is pretty simple. Because maybe it goes something like this. I'm sure you could think of your own. If you want something, go get it. Whether that's partners, possessions, power, go get it. People are important primarily because of what they can do for you. And if they can't do anything for you, we don't waste our time on them. Public opinion defines truth. That's a powerful statement. Public opinion defines truth. Popularity is more important than holiness. Faith and everyday living are unrelated. They're disconnected. You live for the moment and you don't concern yourself with the consequences. And this is the 
the crux of it, you are the center of your universe. Don't let anybody push you around. Your rights are above everybody else's rights. Rights are the thing that get you up in the morning and work your way through the day. What, what can I get out of this day for me, for myself? That's the philosophy of the world. And let's face it, there are some amazingly wonderful things that also happen in the world through the secular uh, uh, organizations and things like that. But if we're really truthful, the philosophy of the world is like that because it's a sinful, fallen world. And without Jesus, it's me-centered and not Christ-centered. Our world screams tolerance and, uh, and that truth isn't absolute. And what do I mean by that? Well, tolerance, the definition of tolerance has changed over the years. Tolerance no longer means I can have a differing opinion to you and I accept what you say, but I'm not going to agree with it. Tolerance now is something like uh, if I tolerate you or if I accept you, I'm tolerating you and therefore um, it's not incorrect and it could be the truth and that's good for you. So tolerance is a very postmodern way of thinking about stuff. So your truth is, is as truthful as my truth. That's where it is. What's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. You've heard me say that many times. That there are many truths out there, but I'm telling you that there isn't. There's one truth, and that's in Jesus. I say again that our alternative to this transformation is a conforming to this world and its secular, divine-less motivations. And I say divine-less rather than God-less as there are many, many things in this world that we worship in a godlike fashion. Material wealth, goods, sex, said personal rights, belief systems, cults. It's, it's almost like this world in which we live, it has an inbuilt desire to want to, to wanna worship something and to hold it on high. But without Christ, these things are they're directionless. They're dangerous. They're blasphemous. We have in with, within us this desire to worship. But without Jesus, we begin worshiping things which aren't healthy and which are dangerous and which can have devastating consequences. And I think we begin to see those over the last week once again. So my challenge is let's not be shaped by these influences. Let's Let's fight against this tide of sin, uh, self and Satan and everything that we see around us with his influence. So what kind of TV and how much TV do you watch in a week? What kind of movies do you watch? What type of music do you listen to? What magazines, books and websites do you visit? How much time are you devoting to, to social networking? Who are your friends? What type of influence do they have on you? What are your hobbies? How do you spend your time? The point of that is let's not have weapons of mass distraction that take us away. I've got to credit Jeff Newton with that, I'm sorry. That take us away from what God wants for us. So it's not that those things are bad that I've just listed, those things of, of what do we watch, how much, do we spend on, how much time do we spend on social media? What kind of, no, they're certainly not bad. But, but are you letting them overtake 
and distract from time with God. That's the, that's the most important thing. Because Christians, so for those of you who believe this morning, by definition, you are countercultural. You are countercultural. But it's a culture that's based on love. But we've got to remember that even with love, there are discipline and boundaries. And, you know, as I, as, I, as I became a father and as my kids are growing up and getting older and begin to challenge more and beginning to um, struggle more against kind of the, the boundaries that I've set in place, it, it, it's really helped me understand that love isn't just a free-for-all, that love needs discipline. You, you know, otherwise they could just go off on any tangent. And I want them to grow up knowing about Jesus and knowing that Jesus loves them. I need them ultimately to make their own decision for him as, as they have. But I need to set boundaries in place that help them. What, what things are they influenced by? How much of the internet are they looking at? What kind of games are they playing? And I love them, but I set them boundaries. In another weird way, it's a bit analogous to this. Nicky Gumbel, the, the vicar of HTB Church, puts it like this. He says that one morning he was asked to referee a football game. Uh, and he, he, know, he knows nothing about football. Uh, but he said, yeah, all right, I'll do it. And so he refereed the game. And, and within you know, 10, 15 minutes, tackles were, were, bit, were, were plung, being plunged you know, into people's legs. And, 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 and there, were, there were arguments. And, and there was offsides that weren't offsides. And there were goals that weren't. It was a complete disaster. You'd think it was really simple just to referee a football game. Now, eventually, the, the referee who was supposed to be there on time eventually turned up. And the referee you know, took the whistle and, and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the kids were able to play football because he began, to, he began to bring in these, these rules and these boundaries, and, and they, they knew that somebody was there looking after the game, and so they were free then to, to play a good game of football that wasn't full of arguments and controversies. Be, you know, and that's analogous to kind of bringing in those, those boundaries of love and discipline. Because love isn't, it's not an excuse to do whatever we want, but it's a way of, of being and thinking that enables God to work with us and through us and to ultimately transform us into his son, an image of his son. That's good, isn't it? Even though Paul, in this letter, is writing to a church, as is here, a church is made up of individuals. And, and these verses, they're speaking to us, not only as a church, but as Individual. They're speaking into your heart as an individual and into your mind. You know, there's, there's, the, there's the thinking that, you know, will one diseased fish infect the whole tank? Will one mad cow infect the whole herd? Will one person conformed to the world affect this church? Yes. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. So I'm daring you, and I'm daring myself. Let's be different this year. Let's stand up for Christ this year. Let's not be pushed aside. Let us speak about him freely and with love. Let's not go with the flow. Let's be a rebel. Let's... 
let's become a disciple of Christ, which is ultimately what that is. Let's become more of a disciple of Christ. Your life, ladies and gentlemen, should be an adventure. It should be an absolute adventure and an absolute joy. And you don't get an adventure just, just sitting in your cozy place. Too. You've got to go out and do stuff. You know, you go on holiday to a skiing resort to do some snowboarding and that's an adventure. You go rock climbing and that's an adventure. You ain't going to do any of that if you just sit at home and watch TV. Let life be an adventure because our beliefs should impact our behavior, shouldn't it? Our beliefs should impact our behavior. We shouldn't have our beliefs separated from what we are. I said earlier, faith should not be disconnected from how we work out our life. Faith isn't just a Sunday morning meeting. Faith is a 24-7 adventure with Jesus. So let's turn from this negative where he says, don't be conformed to uh, the, the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is a very positive thing. And the, the term transformed is from this Greek word, and I don't know how you pronounce it, whether it's metamorpho or metamorpho. Um, let's say it's metamorpho, which forms the root word for what English word? Metamorphosis or metamorphosis. So when a tadpole is changed into a frog or when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, we speak of that as a metamorphosis. And this is what God wants for each one of us, each one of his children. He wants us to to be transformed, to be transfigured, to change, to go through a metamorphosis from one thing and turn into another. And so the question, you know, we can ask ourselves again, what stage are we in? Are 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 we still a larva? A larvae, or however you pronounce that. Are we, are, we, are we still in that kind of cozy place? Or are we, are we a little caterpillar? You're a bit more dangerous as a caterpillar. Ooh, you could be eaten. You know, you can, describe, you can try and disguise yourself as something else, but you, you could be eaten. Are you a little baby butterfly? You know, you've just been come out of your cocoon and you, you're starting to stretch your wings, but it's still a bit delicate because you can't fly if something decides to attack. Or are you a full-grown butterfly? Are you there on on, on the wind, going ahead, having an adventure? At what stage are you? And it's good to be on any of those stages as long as you're moving from one stage to the other. You know, where are we on Christ's growth chart? And, you know, there are three important things that are related to this word metamorpho. Uh, One, Paul uses it in the present tense. So this isn't an on-again or an off-again transformation, but it's a, it's a continuous one. And that's why I read Ephesians 4.23, and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be constantly renewed. Number two, this word again, it's also passive. The implication being that the catalyst, the thing that really changes us in this transformation, in this metamorpho- metamorphosis, it's God. Nothing else but God. God is the only thing that can truly change us. And number three, the word is imperative. I spoke earlier that we have an individual responsibility as being part of the whole. And this is what this is. We have an individual responsibility. The Holy Spirit changes us, doesn't he? And it enables us to offer ourselves completely to God. And this takes place in the mind. And it has to be renewed and changed, made new and new again by the Holy Spirit. 
So before those of us who have a relationship with Jesus were saved, we were probably so accustomed to sin, as I was, but didn't know I was in it, that I was cutting a groove into my heart and mind that made that change more difficult than it needed to be because I was stuck in that groove. But through wonderful, loving people, I managed to create a new groove. I managed to form new habits that pointed me towards Jesus. That's why Paul says you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The um, Matthew Henry concise commentary that, that kind of go, goes against this, this particular verse says this, I love it. The work of the Holy Spirit first begins in the understanding and is carried on to the will, affections, and conversation. So there is a change of the whole man or woman into the likeness of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. Thus to be godly is to give up ourselves to God. To be godly is to give up ourselves to God is to stop thinking about me and start thinking about him. Stop focusing on what we can get and what we, what we want from others, but just what does he want and how can I help God in that? So how do you renew your mind? How, how do you go ahead and do this? Well, you know, saturate yourself in godly thinking for a start. I heard this wonderful um, explanation of what the Trinity is. Somebody asked... This gentleman, a guy called William Lane Craig, actually, he's a, he's a famous apologetic. Um, just pop his name into Google and you'll be able to see loads of uh, videos of, of interviews and debates and things this guy has. And somebody challenged him. They said, how can the Trinity, uh, how does it work? Because, you know, if, if they know each other's thoughts and, and, and thinking and, and they know it constantly, how, can, how does that not get boring? obviously it's quite an anthropomorphic thing that he was trying to ask the question how does that not get but how do they continue that for all eternity how does that work and William Craig Lane Craig came back with this wonderful analogy and, and I thought it was beautiful and you know when you first meet your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or even when you first look into your son or your daughter's eyes okay Things may happen with girlfriends and boyfriends that, that aren't, you know, you might ultimately split, but, but there's, there's a time at the beginning where you just want to be with one another, where you will look into your partner's eyes or your son or your daughter's eyes and you could just gaze into their eyes forever. You're not thinking anything, you're not, you're not debating anything, you're not talking, you're just looking. <coughs> and loving. You're looking and loving. And I, lo I thought that was a wonderful, simple analogy of probably what it's like in the Godhead. That they're just gazing into each other's eyes and loving and being together. And that's beautiful, isn't it? Can anybody kind of understand that? Beautiful. So saturate yourself in godly thinking. Read God's word. That's a good start. But it's, it's more than just reading, though. It's also a matter of absorbing, uh, of interacting with God's Word. And when we read the Bible, we've got to constantly be asking ourselves, what does this mean for me in my daily life? What does this mean for my daily life? Saturate ourselves in, in godly thinking also means exposing ourselves to, to godly writers, teachers, and influences. And in this day and age, that's so incredibly easy to do. I mean, you've got to be a bit careful because some people can go off a bit 
strange tangents, but if you if you if you're solid and you're careful and you think about it, you, the, the, you've got you've got the whole world to gain godly, wonderful thinking from. Meet regularly with friends who share your commitment to Christ. Yes, we are to we're called to be in the world, but you need to make sure you're 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 all right to be in the world. So make sure you're spending time with those who are committed to Christ. We've got to work to expand our thinking so that we're not just one-dimensional believers. Maybe you could try memorizing Scripture. Just just read and, and meditate on Scripture. And then watch how God hides it in your heart until at some moment, at some point, he goes, there you go. This is what you now need to say. I've just been doing the Bible in one year. Well, I did it for the whole of 2014, obviously, hence the name, Bible in one year. And what an amazing journey I I went on. It was the, again, I'm quite a fan of them. It was Holy Trinity Brompton, Bible in one year. And I've never read the whole Bible before. Is anybody else going to confess to never reading the whole Bible before? I know one or two of you, because you've already told me. You know, you've probably read a lot of the Bible because, you know, you've, you've been teaching here or preaching there or maybe just at home, but you've never gone, right, I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure I read every verse, every chapter, and I'm going to go through it. And, and that was the first time I did it in 2014. And what an accomplishment that was. You know, to really know that I have been through every word of God's word. And I believe, even though I can't remember it all right now, I believe he's hidden it in my heart. And so at the moments and the points where I need to speak it out, I'm going to be able to. But it's also going to change my behavior and who I am. And it continues that transformation, that transfiguration of my mind. And I absolutely encourage you, if you stick your hand up and say you've not been able to do it, let me encourage you today. Begin that adventure. Begin that journey. Uh, if you've got an electronic device, there's a big thing called the Bible app, which is a huge successful. Get yourself logged on there and get yourself connected to a plan. And I, I will guarantee you, by the end of 2015, you will find, you will find you, you've changed because you've dedicated moments in your life to doing that. Um, slow down your life. Take time to worship more. We can find points where we, we can slow down our life. I've got a busy life, I've got a family, but I can find moments to slow down my life. So do that. It reminds us, you see, of who he is. If we worship, if we just bought a worship CD and we listen to the words, if it's a good track, it begins to remind us of who he is. It reminds us to be still and to know that he is God. It reminds us that we need to wait on him to hear his word. You could begin, and I had to do this, switch off the TV, switch off the radio. I grew up in, 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 in the family where the TV was always on. It was always on. It never, never turned it off. And even now, at our home, my TV's nearly always on. It's just in there in the background, a noise. But I, I, I took time to either turn that off or go somewhere else. I turned off my mobile phone. I shut down my computer. And I, or rather, I turned off the wireless part of my phone because the Bible plan was on my phone. Um, and and I, just, I just sat, read, and heard from God. Why don't you try that? Just try it. Paul concludes that, you know, that you're to renew your mind so that you may prove 
what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the key word in that is that word prove. Paul doesn't speak of finding or discovering God's will. He says that you can prove God's will. But I don't think he's dealing with such questions as should I get married? Where should I go to uni? Should I buy a house? Should I move to Wales or Scotland? These questions, they are important. They absolutely are important, but they're secondary when it comes to God's will. Because the will of God in this particular verse deals with obedience to his general will. As you obey God's revealed will, he'll unveil his specific will for your lives. But if you refuse to accept his explicit moral will, there is no point praying to God to reveal his specific individual will for your life. If you obey the clear text, the clear instruction of this text, God's will will find you. God's will will find you. God wants your body and your mind. He wants all of you. Is there anything or anyone that you're withholding from God? I begin to ask yourself that question. Is your, is your marriage and your family completely given to him? Is what you're doing his? Is it where he wants you? More about your finances. That's a tough one for us, isn't it? And we hold our finances quite close to our heart in, in the Western world. What are you doing with your finances? What about your hobbies, the things you're involved in? Are they taking you away from God? Do you need to maybe address that balance somehow? Will you present yourself to him from today and ever after? If some of those things are challenging, will you begin to address them? Will you begin to change them and see how you can develop that relationship with God which is deeper and much more intimate? Because I guarantee that if you do, your life will never be the same again. It will never be the same again. Tim Keller, uh, a theologian, author, says this, to have the eyes of the heart enlightened with a particular truth means to have it penetrate and grip us so deeply that it changes the whole person. In other words, we may know that God is holy, but when our heart's eyes are enlightened to that truth, then we not only understand it cognitively, but emotionally we find God's holiness wondrous and beautiful. And we purposefully avoid attitudes and behavior that would displease or dishonor him. Romans 12, 2, the first part of that says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that's what the New Living Translation of the Bible says. So the mind is much bigger than the intellect. It's about the way you perceive. It's the way you understand. It's what you feel. It's what you judge and determine. It's the way you make decisions. It's about, ultimately, your decision to let God change you. God wants our permission. Isn't that outstanding? God wants our permission to begin to change us from the inside out. Another commentary says this. The renewing of your mind, not by a mere outward disconformity to the ungodly world, many of whose, whose actions in themselves may be virtuous and praiseworthy. I said earlier, there are some good things that the secular world are doing. 
but by such an inward spiritual transformation as makes the whole life new, new in its motives and ends, even where the actions differ in nothing from those of the world. New, considered as a whole, and in such a sense to be wholly unattainable, save through the constraining power of the love of Christ. So by the end of 2015, by the end of this year, let us not only know God more, Let's not only know more about him, but let us actually have experienced more of him in a deep and intimate way. And we've, we've moved forward in our closeness of relationship with him. Let that be our aim for the end of 2015, that we experience him. The Bible talks about God in lots of ways, but there are four ways that are quite significant. It says that God is love. God is spirit. God is, is the word. And God is light. So God is love. How are we being to one another? How are we being to those who don't yet know Jesus? How are we approaching them? How are we talking to them? Are we loving them as Christ loves the world? God is spirit. Are we listening to his Holy Spirit? Are we taking time to, to be with him in a very simple but profound way. God is word. Are we, are we reading his word? Are we, are we letting it sink into our souls? And God is light. Are we then taking that into the world where there is darkness? And that includes the online world too. I think I said it last week. The web is a very dark place. It needs you to be on it, to be in those places, to bring his light because they are very Christ-like things. It's what Jesus would and did do. God wants us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. We've got to be careful as well, I think, how we hear things. We've got to be careful how we hear things. And we've got to watch our heart in how we receive others. I don't know about you, but I'll own up to judging people very quickly. Not in a kind of deep way but you know, how they're dressed how they talk and things like that and you've got to quickly address that in your mind haven't you I, I do that I try not to and I try my best not to but I'm being honest with you and so that if, you're, if, you, if you don't change that perception very quickly or get rid of it you start hearing them from a place that isn't a good place because you start hearing it with assumptions and things bolted onto it so let's try and hear with an open mind and with no assumptions and perceptions of who that person could or could not be. That's so important. Because a little misinterpretation, even from what I'm saying today, a little misinterpretation can lead to unfortunate or devastating consequences. I, I could, I'm sure I'll do it. I'm sure I'll have conversations with a few of you afterwards. I'll go, I, I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't, wow, I didn't mean to say that. That's, wow. And it's not that you were meaning to hear that but it's about well rather than maybe being offended by something I've said because it pushed a little bit too close to the bone hear it in the heart that it is given which is a heart of love I preach a word every week or every other week because I, I, I want you to grow in your relationship with him and the Bible teaches it's good to hear preaching and teaching and, 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 and I want to I do that in love and, you know, when I preach, it's not, I'm not only talking to you, I'm talking to me. 
You know, we're all on that transformation journey, aren't we? And so hear things in love. Choose to hear things in love. Choose not to be offended. Because hearing correctly is a huge part of that transformation. Because we want to be so transfigured that those around us see Jesus not only by what we do, but who we are inside and out. There's a thing called the law. I'm going to finish very soon. There's a thing called the, the law that we read about in Scripture. And before Christ came, it served as a way to make us conscious of sin. Um, to constantly have to reach a, a kind of a high mark through, through various rules and rituals. And with Christ coming, and by what he did on the cross and his resurrection, he's shown us a way of grace. A way that makes us Christ conscious and not sin conscious. Not a mind that is focused on mistakes and problems, but a mind that is righteous, wanting to work out his perfect will and be acceptable to him. Grace, not legalism. Faith, not religion. Christ focused, not sin focus that's how we are to approach others as if we were Christ now it's not that we ignore sin but if we focus on on Jesus we ourselves will not be sinful so focus on Jesus we can't be transformed by the don't do this and don't do that so when I talked earlier about discipline and boundaries it was in love He was wanting to help them grow and help them grow every day. But it's not about legalism. You know, you can, there's a give and there's a take and there's a, there's a moving and a shifting. And that comes through grace. Because we can only be truly transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God wants us to live above the level that we can see right now. A level where we're able to contemplate God's glory with with an unveiled face. In other words, a place where through the righteousness that God gives us, we can sit face to face with our Creator. We're able to do that through the grace of Jesus Christ. The world this world, this age is desperate for us, the church not to be condemning or judgmental it needs the church but it doesn't need that kind of church it needs the church that reflects and displays the glory of God the glory, that love you just mouth the word love that displays love So in 2015, folks, and beyond, let us be the kind of church that earnestly seeks to love the world but not be conformed to the world in 2015. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give 
second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive we also do loud we give the best hugs we are family and in this house that means we, we love, love.